Last week we talked about that the world is stuck in adolescence, and it's not just the United States, but we see it here more than ever because this is where we are. And I talked about the idea that this has been going on for about 400 years, and we're just sort of at the end of that process. Now what I want to talk to you about today is where we are in the Moadim, the uh, holiday season, if you will. What's going on with that in relation to what I talked to you about last time? So we are in the period of counting the Omer right now. One of the things about Moadim, which are God's appointed times, is they are also rehearsals. And one of the things about a rehearsal is if you could do it right the first time, you wouldn't have to rehearse. So it's sort of a time of training, teaching. And the question that I am going to try and answer for you is, what are we being trained for right now, and what's this time supposed to teach us? One of the things about God is, since he made us, he knows how we work. And he knows that good habits are just as hard to break as bad habits. And the example I often use is brushing your teeth at night. I would not be able to go to sleep were I not to brush my teeth at night. I would just feel weird and I would sort of lay there and toss and turn and something would be wrong. That's a good habit, brushing your teeth at night before you go to bed. If I wanted to break that habit, it would be really difficult. And it's the same thing with bad habits. You know, if you get a bad habit, you all know how hard it is to break bad habit. When I was much younger, I used to smoke. And I quit smoking three or four times. Quitting smoking wasn't hard at all. Staying quit smoking was the hard part. I haven't smoked, praise God, in 40 years, but you all know what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about that specifically. And in Proverbs 22, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what the Bible is saying is, get them while they're young, teach them good habits as they're young, and then when they reach maturity, those good habits will carry them along even when their emotions are going sideways. We've all been there. So, what we have right now is a period of 7 times 7 plus 1. You should have all heard this before, right? In the passage of Scripture is Leviticus 23.15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So what you do is you count seven Sabbaths plus one. So what you have is a Sabbath, of course, is seven days. So you have seven times seven plus one. So where's the other seven times seven plus one in Scripture? There's another one. The year of Jubilee, Yovel. In Yovel... You count, instead of seven days, you count seven years. And you do that seven times, and then you add one more year. So you have seven times seven plus one again. My lightning-fast mind, when it sees two patterns like that, I say, hmm, what is God trying to teach us with these two patterns? And I will suggest that both of those patterns lead you to the same place. They're both teaching the same lesson, but they're teaching it in slightly different context. Let's start with Yovel. What happens on Yovel? Slaves are released, and everybody goes back to his patrimony. 
In other words, when God divided up the land, he said, all right, Judah, you go here, Ephraim, you go here, Naphtali, you go here. And the land was divided up according to families, and the land was to remain with that family forever. However, we being human, some of us are able to hold on to that patrimony, and others are not. So things will happen like you'll go into debt, or you'll commit some kind of a crime and get sold into slavery for a period to pay for your crime, or various things will happen that will cause people to come off of their patrimony and somebody else then take it. And what happens with Yovel is every 50 years you have a massive reset. Everybody goes back to his original patrimony. In fact, if you were listening to the Ezekiel reading today, one of the things that you should have noticed is one of the reasons that God sends Israel into exile is because they didn't do that. So instead of releasing people in the seventh year and releasing the land and so forth, once it got taken, it sort of stayed taken. And that kind of annoyed God, and he sends them into exile to get that fixed. But theoretically, according to Scripture, Everything is supposed to do a massive reset every 50 years. There's two perspectives on Yovel. Now, from the perspective of the creditor, this is the one who owns the piece of land currently. And this is the one who owns a debt that somebody else has to pay. Because when we talk about Yovel, all of us sort of tend to focus on the one who is released. But you also need to look at the one who does the releasing. Because there's a lesson for him too. And the lesson for him is, what's the source of wealth in this world? Land and people. And so what happens on Yovel? You have to give back land and people. Those are the two things that get released. Servants or slaves and the land that they're supposed to live on. So what you're doing as the creditor or the one who owns this is you are saying, I am giving up the source of all wealth in this world. Now, it doesn't say that if you've made money or gold or silver or flocks or herds or any of those other measures of wealth, you can't keep those. So as you've had this piece of land that you have gotten from somebody else, one presumes legitimately. So what you're supposed to do every 50 years is you're supposed to give up the wealth generator that you have, which is land and people. So you get to keep the flocks and herds and gold and silver. You don't have to give that back, but you do have to give back the thing that generates wealth. Which means that you have to say that the things that generate wealth in this world are less important to me than doing what God says I'm supposed to do. It's a test of faith, in a sense. But now let's go to the perspective of the one who is being released the one who gets his land back, the slave who is freed. And what I will suggest is that three things happen. The first one is you go from displacement to restoration. So you have been displaced off of your land, and you are now going from that state of being displaced into a state of restoration where you go back to your land. You are going from a state of being carefree to a state of responsibility. Now what's that mean? Well, as a slave, you have limited ability to do self-determination. Somebody makes a lot of your decisions for you. 
as a slave. Go here, do this, do that, show up here, whatever. And what you're doing is you're coming out of that carefree, and I'll call that carefree or innocent, or there's, there's a number of words you could use. But basically, you're not responsible for your own actions so much. Somebody else is responsible for what you're doing. This is obviously not pure, but you sort of get the idea. You're going from there to a place where you are now responsible. You lost your land at some point for whatever reason. Now you're getting your land back. You're getting your freedom back. And now you are autonomous, which means that you're responsible for all of your own actions and decisions. Whereas before, somebody else was responsible. Somebody else was responsible for what you did. Somebody else was responsible to make sure you had enough food. Somebody else was responsible to make sure you had clothing, all that kind of stuff. Somebody else was responsible for you. Now you are responsible for yourself. And then the third thing you're going from is bondage to freedom. And that one's pretty obvious. Before, if you were a slave, you couldn't do what you wanted to do. You were bound to do what your master required. And now you no longer are. You are now free. So three things. You're going from displacement to restoration, the restoration of your land. You're going from innocence or carefree or however you want to describe that to responsibility. And the final thing is you're going from bondage to freedom. And that happens every 50 years. Seven times seven plus one. So... What I will suggest is the period we're in now, which is 7 times 7 plus 1, it's, but instead of years, it's days, we're going to have the same thing going on. So let's take a look at it. By the way, this is all in the context of the golden calf. Both the Omer counting and Yovel are given after the sin of the golden calf. And if you look at Yovel, Yovel doesn't start on any of the normal calendar markers. When does Yovel start? It specifically starts on Yom Kippur. The year of release starts on Yom Kippur. It does not start on the first of Nisan or the first of Tishri, which is the secular year. doesn't start on either of those normal year markers. It starts on Yom Kippur. And what happened on Yom Kippur? That's when Moses comes down with the second set of tablets, and God has accepted the repentance of Israel. That's the place where you step off into freedom. When we look at the laws of the Omer, all of those laws are given to Israel after the sin of the golden calf. So I'm going to suggest to you that both of these are related to the sin of the golden calf, or God's acceptance of us after the sin of the golden calf. Okay, I think that's kind of important. So let's go to the Omer. As I read to you, one of the things that you should have picked up is at the beginning and at the end of the Omer period, we are dealing with grain. So at the beginning of the Omer period, it says you bring a sheaf of the wave offering, which is barley. And you, you know, you've all been through this often enough that you know that Passover doesn't start until there is ripe barley that can be brought in for first fruits. So the first end of this 50-day period starts with grain, barley. At the end of it, it says, then you shall present a grain offering of the new grain to the Lord. So the end of it is grain. 
So you've got grain at the beginning and you've got grain at the end, specifically. And in fact, interestingly, these 50 days that we're going through are not called in Scripture counting the Omer. That's a rabbinic thing. Nowhere is it mentioned. Where Omer is mentioned is in the context of the tabernacle sacrifices. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to bring an Omer of grain every day, except on Shabbat when you bring two Omers. Now, where else have we seen an Omer a day and two Omers on Shabbat? The manna in the wilderness. Because what happened is the manna came down every day and you gathered an omer of manna every day for the people in your household, but on Shabbat you got two omers, didn't you? So you wouldn't have to gather on Shabbat. So what the tabernacle sacrifices do is they memorialize this time of manna in the wilderness because the quantities are the same. And by the way, as I say, the only time the word omer is used is in connection with grain or manna. It's used in connection with manna, it's used in connection with the temple sacrifice. It is in fact not used for this counting period. But this counting period specifically talks about grain. Hence, you're talking about grain, omer is a measure of grain, and so forth, and that's how they get the connection. So, what's barley? Animal chow, isn't it? Now, I happen to like barley soup, and I'll eat barley, I'm not, not at all picky, But barley is considered to be a less desirable grain than wheat. It's harder to deal with. It's harder to thresh out. It doesn't have the same nutritional content as wheat does. And it is regarded as animal food or slave chow. You feed your slaves. You don't feed them the good stuff. You feed them just whatever they need to stay alive and be able to be productive. So barley in that sense is animal chow. So we start off the beginning of this period bringing an offering of animal food. And at the end, we bring an offering of people food, wheat. Remember, the the two ends of this 50-day period are anchored in grain. The beginning you bring barley, at the end you bring wheat. And oh, by the way, when you bring your wheat at the time of Shavuot, after the end of 50 days, that's the only time you bring leavened bread into the tabernacle. At all other times you bring unleavened bread, except that one time, and you bring two loaves, two omers of wheat bread that are leavened. So what I will suggest to you is this 50-day period is a process of moving from being an animal to being a people. At the beginning, you're a slave. And slaves don't get the best food. They don't get the the wheat. They get the barley. And at the end of that period, you come to a place where you are now eating leavened bread. Now, I like matzah, but I don't eat matzah all year. I really prefer leavened bread, quite frankly. Matzo with peanut butter and honey, or matzo with chimichurri, or matzo with anything is, is okay. I, I like it, and I, and I don't feel at all afflicted during this time of unleavened bread. But have you ever tried to make a grilled cheese sandwich with matzo? And most people would prefer to make their grilled cheese sandwiches with leavened bread. So, we're going from a time of being slaves. Remember, we are moving also from Egypt to the presence of God at Sinai. 
Because what happens at Shavuot? We get the Torah. So what you're doing is you are moving from a status of slave to the presence of God. That's what happens during those 50 days. Because we go from Passover, and Passover is a celebration of our being taken out of Egypt, where we were slaves, and we move during that 50-day period to Sinai, where God gives us the Torah or the Holy Spirit. So what you're doing symbolically is you're moving from a time of slavery to a time of freedom. And I will suggest to you that the same three processes or the three events, if you will, that happen at Yovel are also happening in the Omer. What you're doing is you're going from displacement to restoration. You were in Egypt. You were not in your land. You were alienated if you will. And you're moving from there into the presence of God and ultimately into the land. So you're moving from displacement to restoration. You're moving from innocence, if you will, to responsibility. You know, you've all had pets, right? And you try to train your pets, but you also don't really expect your pets to exercise the same degree of moral responsibility that you do. You just don't expect it of them. So when a pet messes on the rug or takes the lasagna off the kitchen table or whatever the pet does, you sort of understand that the pet is not morally responsible. May need to be trained, may need to be punished, may need to be dealt with and so forth, but it's really not the case that your pet is completely morally responsible. What we're doing is we're moving from symbolically beasts of burden slaves, animals, being fed animal chow, and we are not responsible for ourselves to a place where we're coming into the presence of God, and we are now responsible. And then finally, we're moving from bondage to freedom, because when God takes us out of Egypt and we go through the Red Sea, we are coming out of bondage, and then 50 days later, we are coming into the presence of God at the mountain, and so we're coming into freedom. So what I'm suggesting to you is these 7 times 7 plus 1 are actually telling us the same thing, just in slightly different contexts. So, let's look at human development now, and we're going to go back to what I was talking about last time. Human development has four stages. First off, you're born, and you go through a period of innocence. My granddaughter out there, she fusses and she cries and she does all sorts of stuff, And she can certainly be very annoying to her parents, I'm sure. Never been annoying to me, but I'm sure she can be annoying to her parents. But she's not morally responsible yet. And so there's a period where you're growing up and you are not yet fully responsible. And people, and God, I suspect, cut you some slack. Now, they will train you and if you steal the cookies or whatever it is, they'll discipline you and so forth. But it's understood that at this point you're not responsible. Then you come to adolescence. And what's the thing that happens in adolescence? In the Jewish way of looking at things, bar mitzvah. So as you become an adolescent, you are read in to the secrets of God. You are given the ability to handle God's word. The dividing point of someone being able to come up here and read the word of God is bar mitzvah. 
So before bar mitzvah, you're not really responsible, but after bar mitzvah, you become a son of the commandments. That's what bar mitzvah means, son of the commandments. You are now morally responsible. You're also just wild with hormones. Remember I described adolescence as the terrible twos with hormones in a car keys. And so somebody then has to take you from this adolescent stage and move you to the third stage of your life, which is adulthood. Your initiation into this at adolescence is you are brought into the Word of God, you are given the ability to read the Word of God, but it's understood that you've got a ways to go before you are a full adult. And there should be a process then where the adults in the community take you off and say, all right, understand that your emotions are going sideways, but you need to get those under control and you need to become a responsible adult. And by the way, that hasn't been happening worldwide. Been a long time talking about that. Last week, our society is stuck in adolescence instead of moving on to adulthood. And then the fourth stage in human development is the world to come. And you go through natural death and you are raised from the dead and you come into the world to come. So the four stages of human life are birth or infancy, adolescence, adulthood, and then the presence of God, if you will, in the world to come. That's the normal range of human development. Our problem right now in the world is most of people who should be adults are stuck in adolescence. They're not making that transition. What we should learn from this as we're going through this period of Omer is first off, God is teaching us something. All of these Moadim, all of the laws, everything that God has set up is to teach us something. And we need to figure out what it is we're supposed to learn here. And what we're supposed to learn is the process of coming out of infancy through adolescence into adulthood. That's what the process describes. Because at the end of that, we are restored to our land, we become responsible for our actions, and we become free, truly free. The other thing to understand is all of this happens in the context of the golden calf, which means that all of this was given to us after perhaps the most terrible sin in the history of Israel. That should give you hope. Because what that says is, no matter how badly you have messed up, there is restoration. That's what Yovel teaches us. You have messed up. You have lost your patrimony. You have sold your inheritance. You are a stranger in the land that belongs to you. Yet, there is restoration. So no matter how badly you have messed up your life, there is still the possibility of restoration. And that's what this is also supposed to teach us. Israel got itself sold into slavery in Egypt. Yet, at the end of that time, there was restoration. God reached into that place, brought them out, and then takes them on a 50-day journey to the foot of his mountain. So there's restoration, no matter how badly you have messed up. And one of the things that Satan tries to teach us is, oh, you can never recover. I mean, it's over. You've just done something so horrible that there's no possibility of ever being forgiven. There's no possibility of restoration. That's why they call him the accuser of the brethren. Because he's trying to convince you that there is no possibility of restoration. There is. 
And again, what I will suggest to you all as you are going about your daily business and you interact with people in the world is you are a bearer of the understanding that there is restoration. You're going to run into people who are really messed up. We all do. And what you can do is you can tell them there is restoration. You can be restored to your land. You can be restored to adult responsibility. You can be restored to freedom. That, by the way, is the gospel, isn't it? Isn't that what Yeshua taught? Isn't that what Paul teaches? That's the gospel. Despite the sin of the golden calf, despite your adulteries, despite your time in prison, despite whatever it is that you have done, there is the possibility of restoration if you will go through this 50-day process. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.